Hello, and welcome to the Factory Founder Podcast. My name is Paula, and I'm a program manager at Founders Factory Africa. Today, we have the great privilege of welcoming Kaivan, the founder of ASAC, to the Factory Founder Podcast. Welcome, Kaivan. Hi, Paula. Thanks so much for having me on the having me on the show. Uh, very nice to reconnect after a while. Yes, absolutely. So, Kaivan, ASAC is a very unique name. What does it mean and how did it come about? Yeah, so the word ASAC means harvest in, in one of the in, in one of Uganda's 55 local languages called Ateso. So our, our company was born from a small agricultural town called Soroti in eastern Uganda. And our, our initial target audience was actually smallholder farmers. So we named the company after them. And over the years, we eventually pivoted to, to asset financing, but we still stuck with the name Harvest, since uh, you know, it can also be interpreted as, as productivity and, and helping small businesses to grow. I love that. And are you phoning in from Uganda today? Yes, I'm actually in a city called Gulu in northern Uganda, which is not far from where we started the company. So we've had some very exciting growth this year. We, we've been able to, to open three new branches. And so I, I came up here to, to meet the team and, and to be able to better measure the impact that they're having and, and to help the new branch get off its feet. That's great. And maybe before we get too much into the solution, in one line... For those listening, what does ASAC do and what is your mission? We give productive asset loans to emerging markets entrepreneurs. And our mission is to multiply the income of small businesses first across Africa and, and then across the world through a, a very productive branch of lending, which is asset financing. So why is asset financing a problem in your market, you know, what problem are you actually trying to solve? Who is experiencing this problem and why are they experiencing this problem? Sure. So uh, we have an initial focus on the, the mo mobility sector and our core product is or our primary product is motorcycle loans for taxi drivers. So this is a branch of, of lending that is extremely productive because as a direct result of our product, we immediately double the income of every single customer that we work with. So in East and West Africa, um, motorcycles are the most common form of transportation, and you can actually call them through the, the Uber app and the Bolt app and, and uh, other apps as well. The challenge that most of these taxi drivers face is that they enter this industry with, with a, a rental motorcycle. And so this really puts a ceiling on, on what you can earn because you know, someone can can even be paying rent for a bike for five or ten years without actually owning the the asset that he's using for for work every day. And, and so, by using our fintech approach of leveraging alternative data to do the the underwriting of these taxi drivers, we're able to to unlock credit access for them in a way that allows them to to actually earn all of the proceeds of their business so that they can save for the future. And I think for for most listeners who haven't been to Uganda before or haven't traveled much on the continent, they might not fully appreciate how big a part and how important motorcycle motorbikes or boda bodas actually are to the economy and to to the way that people kind of travel and logistics. So how big of a market is this on the African continent? It's huge. So to put it mildly, the transportation sector in, in Africa is the biggest employer of people after agriculture. And in, in East and West Africa alone, there are over 15 million drivers today. So, so this is specifically for motorcycle taxis, not even counting the, the number of drivers of, of cars and matatus and, and trucks as well. So for young people in, in, in Africa, many of them have graduated from top universities. They, they have technical degrees, but the, they find that there are no office jobs that are waiting for them. 
So the, the macro problem that we're solving here is, is unemployment. The most easily accessible job, accessible job that a young person can get in, in Uganda and, and other parts of the continent is, is to start renting some sort of a vehicle and carrying passengers. But they, they, they quickly find that there's quite a limit on what they can earn unless they actually own the underlying assets of the business. And why aren't they able to own their own motorbikes? Yeah, so the, the the typical Boda driver has grown up in in a, a East or West African village, and he he has dropped out of school early in in order to work and support his family. And so when when he's in his mid twenties, usually he finds that he can't make enough money from agriculture alone, and so he moves to the nearest city to to look for work. But then the the challenge is that because he's dropped out of school early, there's not really any office job that uh, he can do, and he he also doesn't have documented income or formal credit history that that he could use to. to get a bank loan. So, you know, we, we have this client called John Bosco who came to us back in July of 2019. And so he, he was actually previously a, a secondary school maths teacher. And, and so, you know, he, he was quite educated, but he actually found that he was able to make more money from from doing the, the Boda Boda business instead. And with uh, many mouths to feed at home, he, he had to make that, that choice of actually leaving professional employment to do the Boda business instead. And so when John Bosco came to us, he showed us from his his app history that he was actually making enough trips and earning enough income to afford our loan. And so we we gave him a loan based on this, this alternative source of data. So there's no traditional African bank that, that would consider somebody's ride-hailing app history. But from our perspective, it was real income that he was earning and they're verifiable transactions. So, you know, we capitalized on this opportunity that the, the traditional banking sector is afraid of. Okay, so in essence, there's this this massive kind of credit gap in Africa where people like John can't access credit through traditional mechanisms like banks, etc., to to become their own kind of business owners and entrepreneurs and and kind of grow their grow their business, if you will, and finance their own motorbikes in in this case. So. If John, in terms of your solution, would approach you guys or, or how is it that you are kind of acquiring or speaking to or kind of engaging with customers like John? And what does the process look like? Sure. So we use a partnership-based approach. I would call it B2B2C, which has allowed us to scale quite rapidly. So we ended up working with Bolt and, and Jumia as well. So these are the biggest ride-hailing apps in, in Uganda. And so they, they share with us data on their top drivers, like who has done many trips on the app, who has high passenger ratings. And based on those financial and behavioral data points, we, we can very quickly make our credit decision. So this is how we, we process a motorcycle loan in, in just 24 hours, rather than the traditional turnaround time for this product, which is up to 30 days. And in addition to the ride-hailing apps, they're, they're also part of Boda savings groups. There are d- different Boda industry associations and labor unions. So we partner with uh, some of these more traditional groups as well. I'm really interested in this kind of B2B2C model. And you make it sound quite easy, just partnering with your bol- bolts and your safe Bodas to kind of access all of these customers and their data. How tricky has that process been to to work with big partners like that? And maybe if you could spell out for us in, in layman's terms what the benefits are to, to each of the stakeholders in this kind of B2B2C model. When we entered the space of, ASAC was actually the very first fintech lender to, to enter the motorcycle lending space. There were other established incumbents before us, but they they followed more of a of a brick and mortar approach. You know, they, they didn't build their own tech. They 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 sometimes use paper applications as as late as 2021. 
and they they basically only had motorcycle loans and 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 weren't able to offer any other financial products to to help clients. We we saw a pretty big gap in the market where you know with, with our fintech approach and and our style of data driven underwriting, we were able to make a turnaround time of, of 24 hours rather than the the 30 days that it was taking the incomes. So when we first approached the the different ride hailing apps like like Safeboda, they were skeptical at first. You know that, that we we were the smallest player in the motorcycle lending space at at, at that time, and and they asked us how, why why wouldn't we work with one of your bigger competitors instead? But what the apps found is that our, our competitors actually had much higher default rates than we do. For us, the, the motorcycle loan is actually only the beginning of our relationship with the customer. And we, we uh, motivate them, and incentivize them to pay that loan very well so that they can access other products from us, like fuel loans and smartphone loans and personal loans. Then we, we have some other products that we're building in the pipeline, like savings accounts for boat drivers. We're in the process of, of developing a safe motorcycle insurance product where we, we would reward drivers for not having very many accidents by uh, giving them discounted insurance premiums. So our, our strategy has been that we use this kind of tech-driven approach to, to cut down on, on overhead, to minimize the amount of physical due diligence that we have to do. And then we also keep the clients highly motivated to, to pay back their motorcycle loan because there's so many other products that they can access from us, which they can't get from the market. So also your bolts and your your safe borders are are happy because you're providing all of these additional services like insurance and like, you know, loans to to their drivers, which kind of keeps them on their platform. Right, exactly. So you 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 can imagine that for, for any ride hailing app, they're they're very concerned about the the safety of their their fleet of vehicles, right? So it's totally not within their interest uh, for their drivers to be having these old beat up motorcycles. The other interesting thing that we have found is that the the psychology and behavior of a driver totally changes when he knows that he's going to ultimately own this motorcycle or the car or ta- or you know minibus truck whatever it is. When when somebody is using a rental vehicle, they they drive it a- a- as if it doesn't really matter what happens to the car, right? But w- when you know that this this asset, if I treat it well, is going to provide for me and my family for years, they they drive much safer and. You know, in turn, the ride-hailing apps are able to have a fleet of new vehicles and better driver behavior as well through this asset financing partnership with us. Kaivan, you've talked quite a lot about the digital enablement of ASUC and and how kind of automated your back-end processes are and, and how this is a key differentiator, you know, for you guys. So A, just a question on your your market itself. Is the interface with the, the end customer, you know, an app or a smartphone? And what are the kind of insights and ways of working with these customers have you guys learned? So maybe which parts of your solutions are are digitized and and which parts of your solutions still require a, a human interface? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we consider our approach to be uh, tech enabled, but we we also see humans as being very very critical to the customer relationship process. So we do have an Android app where where clients with smartphones are, are able to download our, our app from the Google Play Store and and easily submit an application on their own. However, the the, the very unique thing about our target audience is that most border drivers are are actually not literate in English or or even in their own mother tongues because they, they dropped out of school early, maybe uh, uh, before even completing secondary school. And and so our, our tech team, I, I, they actually love this challenge of, of uh, having to design product for, for people who can't read it right. Because so our, our drivers, they they all have mobile phones. They're very comfortable making mobile money payments, which have existed in Uganda for more than a decade. And they pay their loans very well. They, they pay their loans 94 and 95% on time. But, you know, they, they couldn't use something like Branch or Tala where you, you actually have to, to read English to be able to use the app well. 
So we 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 have different innovations that we're we're working on. Like we're we're building the world's very first Luganda language chatbot, so so that we can be able to interact with customers in, in their native tongue without them having to type in, in in English or 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 even in their mother tongue. Sometimes it's it's hard to type as well. And so so because of that, the other unique thing about our customers is that they have a deep mistrust of financial institutions. So but before ASAC companies came and, and they pretended to give out motorcycle loans. And what they would do is collect everyone's down payments for the motorcycles, and then they, they would vanish without ever actually giving out a, a single bike. And and so because of that, you know, a, a, every motor driver knows someone who has been scammed in, in this way. So if we were to interact with them in a purely digital platform where, you know, we're only talking to them online and we we ask them to, to send us this down payment, which is like two or three months of their savings, they actually refuse. It's a very essential part in the trust building process for the driver to meet with us face to face. So, and and if we didn't meet with them and they didn't see that we we have an office and that you know our our staff have ID badges and they they wear our sock shirts, they would just think that we're we're one of those scamming companies. So mm-hmm. we we see humans as as very critical to being part of the uh, process of building trust. But there's many aspects where we can use tech to speed things up. And I'm interested in that that kind of credit scoring process or, or when you say that you're able to kind of qualify one of these loans within 24 hours where, you're, where your competitors aren't. How are you guys doing that? So, so the traditional way of vetting someone for a motorcycle loan is that they do four field visits. So for, first they visit the boater driver's home. And then there's two guarantors for the loan. So then they have to visit the homes of both guarantors. And, and then finally, they also visit what, what's called your Boda stage. So uh, the, the stage is like the driver's normal area of, of operations where he parks his bike and, and he waits for uh, customers to, to come by. So in the process of doing these four field visits, it's very time consuming and expensive for the lender as well. So through our data partnerships with the, the different ride hailing apps, we, we actually obviate the need for a lot of the physical due diligence. So for example, if we can see from the GPS coordinates from the, the ride hailing app where, where the, the boater driver stays at night, then there's no point of us, uh, again, going to, to physically visit his home uh, just to confirm what we we already know, right? So in different ways, we're able to use this kind of fintech approach to, to, to save a lot of time and money, which ultimately gives customers a much better experience. And Kaivan, what other competitors are operating in this space? There are a, a, a number of traditional African commercial banks, but they're they're plagued by a number of challenges that, that are common at, at brick and mortar institutions. So first, you know, they insist on doing a lot of physical due diligence, which is very time consuming and, and expensive for the lender. And what we have found over time is that our style of data-driven underwriting is not only faster and, and, and cheaper than what our competitors do, but but it's also more accurate. So we we have only a six percent default rate, which is the lowest in our in our industry, and and we have proven out that by by leveraging data, we can obviate the need for some of the physical due diligence that others do. And then the the other thing that helps us so much is that because of our automated fintech approach, there's a number of products that we can offer to our customers w- without them ever having to to visit our our office. So uh, for example, our fuel loan, the the average ticket size is is ten dollars. For, for a brick and mortar lender, it, it would never make sense to call somebody to, to office, have them sign a paper contract o- only for a $10 loan, right? But our, our secondary financial products are totally automated. So they, they help our clients to earn more income in different ways. And it, it actually supports the success of our primary loan product, right? So like, imagine that you already have a motorcycle from ASAC and you, you haven't joined SafeWoda or another 
ride-hailing app yet because you don't have a smartphone. So if you build up a, a strong credit score with us by making your weekly motorcycle loan installments on time, then we can uh, approve you on that basis for a smartphone as well. So the, the common thesis behind our products is that we'll fund any asset or input for your business that's guaranteed to increase your income. And I mean, it sounds like, you know, for drivers in Uganda, you know, why wouldn't they use you guys or, or go with you guys? So how are you acquiring more of these customers? Is it mostly word of word of mouth that's spreading or do you have any kind of tactics around around signing these guys up? Yeah, for sure. So we we, we uh, heavily use community building in, in our approach. So uh, one, one hack that we thought of when first launching this product, so we, we also require guarantors for our loans. We implemented a policy that, that at least one of your guarantors must be another fellow Boda driver. So because if the guarantor is, is another Boda driver, we, we know that he's earning income and, and then they often become our clients as well. So our, our biggest sales channel by far is, is word of mouth. It's by uh, marketing to the guarantors of the, the primary borrowers and, and then by, by building on their social networks. So we, we also offer referral fees to our customers if they bring in other clients who successfully uh, get motorcycles from us. As I was mentioning before, th there is a big problem in uh, among our target audience of, of mistrusting financial institutions. So they, they very much don't want to lose two or three months of their savings by giving it to a scam company, which is why it's so important for them to verify through their friends in, in most cases that, hey, ASAC is actually a illegitimate company. I did actually get my motorcycle in 24 hours. And, and they do have these other products that can really help us to earn more income. And you mentioned a whole suite of other products that you've been able to, to offer outside of you know the direct mobility space. So I imagine you're kind of increasing the, the lifetime value of, of each of these customers that you already offer loans to. Who are you using as a, as a partner to, to kind of provide those loans and additional services? Yes. So we're, we're very grateful to Founders Factory Africa for actually introducing us to the senior levels of leadership at Standard Bank Group, the largest bank in, in Africa. And so th through our partnership with Standard Bank Group, we're, we're actually able to act as a digital bank today without having to wait for years to acquire all of the licenses for, for insurance and savings and, 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 and uh, investment products. So we're able to, to sell savings accounts to boater drivers. We're, we're able to, to craft investment products that are tailored to their needs. And we're also able to to develop micro insurance products like the safe motorcycle insurance product I, I was mentioning before, which, which really expands our access and our reach and, and also our ability to help customers. Because what, what we found is that the financial needs of boater drivers are, are quite complex and, and they definitely don't end at, at simply the, the motorcycle. There's so many other things that they would love to buy on credit, which would allow them to earn more income, as, as well as plan for medium and long-term needs by buying uh, insurance and, and investing in savings as well. So what happens in the event? It's quite interesting. You're talking about user behavior and if they know that they're going to you know, own the asset at the end of it, you know, you're more likely to have you know, better repayment behaviors. In the event that someone doesn't pay, you know, what happens to, you know, the mobile phone, I think you said you gave a loan to or, or the motorbike? Yeah, our, our strategy is that we, we first lead with, with a hard asset loan, like a like a motorcycle or a smartphone. And, and we, we have ways through software to be able to secure these assets. 
So when when someone has defaulted, the the first thing we do is is understand why did they default? Because if someone has been making their weekly loan installments on time for for eight months, and and then suddenly you know they they miss two weekly installments in in a row, our first instinct is to reach out to the client and and find out if he if he has a, a genuine problem. So sometimes we learn that oh actually his kid is is his baby is sick at home and and he's been staying home with the the child. So we we, we can sometimes offer them a a low interest loan to have. And get back on their feet and substitute for the for the lost income. Now, instead, if we find that that somebody actually has money and and is simply refusing to pay the loan, you know, the way we would identify a, a, a client like that is that we we see that he's not answering our phone calls. His guarantors are also not answering phone calls, and yet from the GPS tracker, we can see that he is actually moving around. He's carrying customers and and he's earning income. That's when we would uh, initiate the recovery process. So. Through GPS trackers that we have in, in in the motorcycles, we are actually able to to remotely control the bikes, and we can shut them down only in the case of willful default, where we see that somebody has money and 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 is simply refusing to pay. And a similar approach works for the smartphone loans. So we we have partnerships with Samsung and uh, Techno, where we're able to. Uh, with the parent company of of uh, Techno is Transion. So if somebody defaults on purpose, we can also shut down the phone and. And make it totally unusable. So we we lead with, with with one of these hard asset loans, which can be secured through tech, and and that allows us to very quickly build a credit profile on the customer while keeping a very low default rate as well. Then then we start to offer these other products like personal loans, fuel loans. In the future, we'll have insurance and investments as well. I really like Kaiva and how you guys are putting you know the customer at the heart of your solution. And it sounds like there's a lot of heart in a suck and and finding out you know why they've defaulted. On their loans or why they can't pay and and checking up on them and, and things like that but how do you scale that so you know th- there there was a time when I, I actually used to pitch boater drivers myself so I, I learned how to do this in in Luganda and I would ride boaters all across the city and I I, I brought in some of our very first clients but uh, th- that approach is unfortunately not very scalable as, as much fun as it as it might be so one one approach that we have found to be uh, effective is is that we we actually empower some of our customers to become leaders of their own communities. So for example, if if we have five or ten boater drivers who have come to us from the from the same stage, we pick somebody from from that stage to to become the the leader of the ASAC group of boater loans, right? And so the idea is that we're we're empowering the the individual to take on a leadership role in in his community, and he's also helping his fellow boater drivers. So he he knows that. At times, the business can become tough. You know, fuel prices might go up, or or uh, passengers might start opting for taxis rather than than motorcycles. However, the the, the long term value of, of owning the motorcycle is huge, because before a driver comes to a SAC, uh, he's paying about fifty percent of his weekly income toward rent for a motorcycle. So instead, with us, the huge value proposition is that you own this bike, you never have to pay rent again. So sometimes you you need the encouragement and, and the guidance of a fellow boater driver to help you when times are tough. And we have found that within these micro groups that we we have helped catalyze, they're, they're also able to, to help each other. So in, in case one member of the groups misses the installment for this week, the other the other ones will step in. So it, it, be, it becomes like a kind of informal insurance for them as well. I really like how you've set up this whole community ecosystem around your product. And it seems like you're really making a difference and and uplifting people's lives. What are some of your your numbers to date? So so how many of these customers have you actually helped and, and how big is your loan book? 
to date, in, in the last three years of doing this product, we have put more than 7,000 motorcycles on, on the road in Uganda. We have put more than $10 million of principal behind this product, and we, we have only a 6% default rate, which is the lowest in our industry. And uh, it's a testament to the, the power of the, the fintech approach, which, which helps us to cut down on, on quite a bit of overhead compared to what others in the, in the industry do. And, and also the fact that we're able to solve multiple financial needs of the, the Boda driver. So he understands that if he stays with the SAC and, and, and if we become his long-term digital banker, there's so many of his other challenges that, that we can solve. But the, the first step is that he needs to own a motorcycle today so that he can start earning more income. He, he can have a, a safe and, and insured new vehicle that's going to have lower accidents and uh, allow him to save uh, a lot more money than he used to in the past. So I heard you mention a big number there, which was 7,000 motorbikes on the road. We know that there's global pressure at the moment to to cut carbon emissions. How are you thinking about that for for motorbikes in Africa? I often get the, the climate change question from uh, investors, and so we, we we are working on it. But I I do want to make the point that uh, it, it's primarily the the West that created this problem, and and when when Western countries were in, in, in their industrial days, they were polluting and, and there was no awareness or, or regulation of it, right? But when the global south is, is also trying to, to economically develop, they, they suddenly have this this onus of we, we have to solve poverty and also save the environment at, at the same time, which is very hard, but we have found a solution to it. So we, we are actually starting to, to pilot electric bikes here in Kampala. So we are... Uh, in the final stages of, of, of working with a partner who's going to fund a, a pilot of this. So we would be developing a network of charging stations around the city. And, and the the bikes that we'll be using are, are from a company called Rome Motors in based in Kenya. So one one approach we've seen to electric bikes in Africa is, is that a lot of other companies, they, they want to own the energy part of, of this business where they, they don't allow you to actually charge the electric bikes from home. You have to only buy batteries from them when you're in the field. So you, you have to go to one of their charging stations when you're low on battery, and then you swap out the battery pack. So it, it, it's not that the driver actually goes to the station and he sits and waits there for hours. Because the batteries are small, you can just swap them out and, and be back on the road in a few minutes. However, we're, we're going to be doing a hybrid approach where we allow drivers to charge the battery from home if they want, which is very convenient when you've gone to sleep for the night. Or if you're in, in the field and you're and you're low on charge, then you can easily stop at one of our many branches in Kampala and do a battery swap. Wow. Yeah, if you guys could ha- could have a piece of the the kind of charging infrastructure in Uganda, that could be major. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I, I'm I'm very excited by it because it, it genuinely does help drivers to to save more money, especially given the way that fuel prices have gone up quite a bit in in the past year, and it also reduces air pollution. And and also mechanically speaking, the the electric bikes are quite impressive. Like they they have reverse buttons, which uh, uh, normal fuel bikes don't. And then they have built-in computerized GPS tracking. Like it, it, it's not an external thing that we have to install ourselves. So that also helps with the, the recovery and, and enforcement mechanisms as well. So Kevin, we've talked about EVs and, and charging and, and all these additional products that you guys are now offering outside of just the motorbike loans. We haven't spoken about, you know, what's what expansion or, or scale looks like for you guys. So you're in Uganda at the moment. Are there any other territories that you're in? And, and how do you think about geographic expansion and, and your kind of scale vision? Yeah, for sure. So in Uganda itself, there's still quite a bit of work that we, we have to do. Our, our, our initial market was Kampala, but we, we have seen that
that uh, there's very healthy mo- uh, demand for motorcycles in in rural parts of the country as as well. So uh, Kampala, uh, although it's the the biggest city in in Uganda, it's only about thirty percent of the motorcycle market, and the the other seventy percent of the of, of motorcycle sales are, are are from suburban and and rural areas. So th- there's more branches that will open up here in Uganda. We'll be launching in in Kenya as well. Uh, as there's a number of aspects of the business model that carry over pretty easily to, to Kenya. So m- most of our partners and suppliers that, that operate here in, in Uganda, they're already present in Kenya. So it would be easy to have a, a soft landing and, and get our uh, initial group of, of customers. After that, we'd be looking at expanding within East and, and West Africa. So we, we, we see a lot of potential in in DRC, actually, which they, they recently joined the, the East Africa community and they're Uganda's neighbor to the, on, on the Western side. So they, they have a very huge motorcycle market and 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 we, we see this similar problem of uh, unemployment across the, the continent. So in, in many of these countries, it doesn't matter what school you've been to or, or what kind of degree that you have, you're still going to end up employing yourself in some way. So, you know, when young people join the, the job market, they find that this is one of the easily accessible jobs they can get is to rent a motorcycle and start carrying passengers. But we, we want to actually empower them to be business owners and, and not wage employees. And what do you see as some of the biggest obstacles on your expansion or your journey to scale? Yeah, so I think the the macro environment has has shifted recently, you know, in, in terms of both equity and and debt funding that that's available to, to startups. However, I actually see it as a as a welcome change. You know, for, for the past decade, VCs have have not really push startups that much to become profitable. They focus much more on growth, which makes sense when capital is cheaply available. But in, in this new world that we all live in of, of of rising interest rates and high inflation and and not as readily available capital, the, the pressure is on startups to, to be very smart and efficient about the capital that they, they do have. So I am very proud and, and happy that we are imminently approaching profitability, which we, we expect to, to achieve this quarter or, or next quarter. And, and also our insistence on having the lowest default rates in our sector is also helping us. So, you know, some of the, the other players in the motorcycle lending space who have uh, higher default rates than, than us, it is going to be hard for them to, to access enough that capital to be able to grow beyond their, their home markets. So, but because we have prioritized that from the beginning in the way that we empower Boda drivers to become leaders of their their many communities. We we have found that this actually plays out in the loan performance, and and because of that, I actually welcome this new macro environment as as a challenge that that we that we will be able to overcome. Great. Well, Kaivan, I think that you're a founder that has got a lot of heart, but also a very smart head when it comes to running a business and and profitability and and kind of getting those right metrics in place. So I want to thank you so much for for joining me on this podcast and for sharing your story and what ASAC does with all of the listeners. Thank you for your time. Awesome. Thank you as well, Paula, for your time and, and to the whole uh, FFA team for this great opportunity. This is The Factory Building in Africa. Kaivan has been the founder on this show. Thank you for joining us. 